think? I don't know. Um, all right, so this is part nine. If you want to start at the beginning. And uh, today we'll go with a little beef oven. Ludwig van for you Clockwork Orange fans. Is that too loud? I think it should be fine. Especially if I talk like this. I don't know. When I lean over like this, P.U. came in. That's short for Prio. My wife uh, came in and was like, why are you over like this? I don't know. The microphone's over there. see how it, how it is. Uh, I'm not a perfectionist. As you know, when it comes to this, maybe it's a little loud. Let's turn it down slightly and jump right in. Cheers. Eh? Eh? Prayer flags. Dalai Lama said recently, um, we remain part of people's bubble of China. quote, destructive, and quote, understanding, realizing the necessity of allowing symbols to remain, quote, unopenable, end quote, and quote, unsayable, end quote, and the task of becoming, quote, confidants of our own mysteries, end quote, this letter marked a turning point, a return to Jung's encounter with the spirits of the depths. From this point onward, there is a notable shift in Jung's active imaginations. Those from the winter of 1913 to the summer of 1914 were characterized by a suspension of judgment and interpretation and an attempt to explore what instruction the situations and characters could bring. I like that. Um, from the outbreak of the war, Jung had, <clears throat> in retrospect, come to view his fantasies as being not purely personal. In layer two of the commentary that he added in Liber Novus, he had attempted to understand this intersection between his fantasies and what was happening in the world, literally and symbolically. <clears throat> this then formed the guiding assumption of his new active imaginations. In his view, this practice could lead not only to enhanced self-knowledge, but also to 
also deeper insight into the spirit of the depths at work in the world, which had broken through the everyday with such shattering force. Once he had come to view his fantasies as having <clears throat> more than personal significance, he came to see his undertaking as having wider relevance. On October 16, 1916, he wrote to his colleague, the psychiatrist Alphonse Maedel, that's how you pronounce that, quote, I must find the way through the unconscious. People who have trusted me need my insight, not only I myself. That's one of the reasons why I fled from that dynamic. Um, right. Therefore, I had to exclusively dedicate myself to this work, which was very time-consuming and terribly demanding. It's the end of the section, so I'm going to dramatically take a sip. All right. Enough of that. The Return of the Dead is the name of the uh, section we're about to read. Meanwhile, at the beginning of 1916, Psychological Club was founded in Zurich through a gift of 36,000 Swiss francs from Edith Rockefeller McCormick. She had come to Zurich to be analyzed by Jung in 1913. The club was initially housed in a sumptuous property on Lauenstrauss 1. At its inception, at its inception, period. Oh, at its, excuse me, 1 period. At its inception, comma, it had approximately 60 members some indication that having left the psychoanalytic movement, the Zurich School was flourishing. For Jung, the aim of the club was to study the relation of individuals to the group and to provide a naturalistic setting for psychological observation to overcome the limitations of one-on-one -on -one analysis and to provide a venue, venue, where patients could learn to adapt to social situations. Emma Jung became the first president. At the same time, a professional body of analysts continued to meet together as the Association for Analytical Psychology. The distinction between these two bodies is outlined in a letter of Jung's to his colleague, Paul Begere of April 2, 1917. We have founded in Zurich a psychological club with circa 60 members in which namely the human social side of our psychology is taken care of. In addition, we have meetings of about 10 analysts which take place every 14 days where we attempt to understand all of the great novelties which the exploration of the collective UNC has necessitated. The collective UNC 
That's UNC period. All right? End of quote. End of margin and font change. <clears throat> All right. One of the key themes in layer two of Liber Novus was the realization of the need to encounter the dead. Um, <clears throat> Jung had come to see that chaos was not formless but filled with the dead. Quote, not just your dead, that is, uh, all the images of the shapes you took in the past, which your ongoing life has less left behind, but also the thronging dead of human history. Oh, the thronging dead of human history. What's thronging exactly? The ghostly procession of the past, end quote. Reminds me of a dream I had. Anyway, uh, the task of encountering the dead had its effects upon one and was best done in private. Quote, when the time has come and you open the door to the dead, your horrors will also afflict your brother, for your countenance proclaims the disaster. I'm always saying, yeah, your countenance proclaims. Hence, withdraw and enter solitude, since no one can give you counsel if you wrestle with the dead. Sidebar, what if you withdraw and isolate yourself and literally go thousands and thousands of kilometers away from everyone you know? But then you like daily broadcast on YouTube. Does that count? All right. Um, the dead needed to be accepted, <clears throat> and they need salvation. It was necessary to heed their lament and accept them <clears throat> with love, but not to be, quote, their blind spokesman. End quote. He realized that in satisfying the demands of the dead, quote, I gave up my earlier personal striving, and the world had to take me for a dead man. End quote. Hey, Carl Jung himself is now among the dead. In the draft, he summoned up his understanding of the importance of the undertaking. Quote, not one iota of Christian law is abrogated, but instead we are adding a new one, accepting the lament of the dead. End quote. He was like the first goth, or, well, Edgar Allan Poe, I guess, came before him, but like Christianity plus the lament. Let the dead bury their dead, that's what I say. Or maybe that was Jesus, I don't know. Either way, it was God. Anyway, coming to the right uh, relation to the dead was no easy task. 
returning to his confrontation with his soul in the winter of 1915, Jung tried to establish this right relation. On December 26th, his soul informed him that, quote, community with the dead is what both you and the dead need. End quote. In a critical entry of January 16, 1916, his soul presented an elaborate theogenic cosmology. She described her own nature, the nature of daimons, daimons, not the Greek word with the A-E, not the English word with the E, but D-A-I-M-O-N-S. The Heavenly Mother <clears throat> and the Gods, with a capital G, plural, capital G. These are daemons. Oh, I'm Project, pro project. I'm uh, Team Stefan, personally. Oh. TVD, anyone? Um, of particular significance was Abraxas. The powerful and fearful self-renewing god of the cosmos. Wasn't he a chicken? Um, she characterized the nature of man as striving for absolute individuality. I don't mean he was a coward. I mean, literally, he was a chicken. He was a chicken god. He had the head of a chicken, right? Um, through which he concentrated and countered the dissolution of the plethora, oh, excuse me, the pleroma, or the all, in quotes. Jung drew a schematic diagram of this system. At some point later, he proceeded to paint it and titled the work Systema Mundi Totius, System of All the Worlds. On the back of it, he wrote in English, quote, This is the first mandala I constructed in the year 1916, wholly unconscious of what it meant. End quote. I did that once. I got some Sculpey and a plate, and I uh, just took a random number of balls of clay and stuck them on there and... Uh, put it in the oven, painted it. I think I'll include that as the image for this episode on the right side. Usually there's me in the middle. Hi. And uh, then on the left side um, is uh, the chicken philosophy with uh, Emile Allegra, Cubert's um, wife, you know, Gonzo's girlfriend, S Greta, Eliza, Amelia, Francis, Fra El El Ellie, the chicken, you know, the chicken from the Muppets. And uh, so for now, over there, what you're going to see on the thumbnail 
if you see the thumbnail. I don't know why YouTube bothers to let you choose a thumbnail. First, it insists that it be a like a wide, horizontal thumbnail, even though it's a vertical video. And then it doesn't show it to anybody. It shows them some random shot of me going... <laughs> and I don't get to choose what shot it uses to show everyone. But if you go to my channel, like maybe tens, tens of people will do at some point in the future, total. Then you'll see the thumbnail. All right. I'm gonna get back to the reading. Um, yes. <clears throat> at the beginning of 1916, Jung experienced a striking series of parapsychological events in his house. In 1923, he narrated the events to Carrie de Angoulou, uh, she recorded it as follows. One night, your boy began to rave in his sleep and throw himself about, saying he couldn't wake up. Finally, your wife had to call you and get him quiet, and this you could only do by cold clothes on him. Finally, he settled down and went on sleeping. Next morning, he woke up remembering nothing, but seemed utterly exhausted. So you told him not to go to school. He didn't ask why, but seemed to take it for granted. But quite unexpectedly, he asked for paper and colored pencils and set to work to make the following picture. A man was angling for fishes with hook and line in the middle of the picture. On the left was the devil saying something to the man, and your son wrote down what he said. It was that he had come for the fisherman because he was catching his fishes. But on the right was an angel who said, quote, No, you can't take this man. He is taking only bad fishes and none of the good ones. End quote. Then after your son had made that picture, he was quite content. The same night, two of your daughters thought that they had seen spooks in their rooms. I think it was based on the overall context. It probably means like ghosts or something. All right. Um, the next day, you wrote out the, quote, sermons to the dead, end quote. And you knew after that, nothing more would disturb your family and nothing did. Of course, I knew you were the fisherman in your son's picture, and you told me so, but the boy didn't know it. All right. That's the end of that quote from Carrie de Angulo. Angulo. The accent just sort of felt natural with the flow of the words. In memories, Jung recounted that at around five in the afternoon, the front doorbell began ringing and the maids were in the kitchen. The front door could be seen from the kitchen. 
here's that quoted text again, small font, different margins. Everyone immediately looked to see who was there, but there was no one in sight. I was sitting near the doorbell and not only heard it, but saw it moving. We all simply stared at one another. The atmosphere was thick. Believe me. Then I knew something had to happen. The whole house was as if there was a crowd present, crammed full of spirits. They were packed deep right up to the door, and the air was so thick it was scarcely possible to breathe. As for myself, I was all a quiver with the question, quote, For God's sake, what in the world is this? And quote, I think that's 1916 for WTF. All right. Then they cried out in chorus, quote, We have come back from Jerusalem where we found not what we sought. And quote, predictable, inevitable. Uh, that is the beginning of the Septum Sermones. Okay, then it, I mean, the predictable, inevitable thing, that wasn't in the text. That was me commenting on what the ghosts said, not the fact that they said it, right? I mean, they're Christian ghosts, right? Probably. Um, then it began to flow out of me, and in the course of three evenings, the thing was written. As soon as I took up the pen, the whole ghastly assemblage evaporated. The room quieted and the atmosphere cleared. The haunting was over. So if anybody ever tells you that Carl Jung came to replace or negate Christianity, remind them that according to his own words, not one iota of it is to be removed or changed. Only added to, and that addition is the lament of the dead. At least at this point in his path. Maybe later on. He... Never mind. Um, okay, the dead had appeared in a fantasy on January 17, 1914. Oh, excuse me, 1914, not 1916. And had said that they were about to go to Jerusalem to pray at the holiest sepulchray. Sepulchre. Their trip had evidently not been successful. They returned and posed metaphysical questions. Jung's response was to address the questions of the dead and instruct them through elaborating on to them the cosmology that his soul had described to him. This took place between December 30, 1916 and January 8, 1917. The Septum Sermones Ad Mortuos, parentheses, Seven sermons to the dead and parentheses can be regarded. I wonder what would happen. Oh, 
Well, that's an interesting idea. If I change the title and all the chapter headings of the small gray mouse to Latin, can be regarded as the, a culmination of the fantasies of this period. It is a psychological cosmogony cast in the form of a Gnostic creation myth. In Jung's fantasies, a new god had been born in his soul, the god who is the son of the frogs. Abraxas. The frogs, comma, Abraxas, period. Ah. So the god, the new god, that was born in Jung's soul is Abraxas. Okay. I mean, you know, all right. Yes, and he's a chicken. Jung understood this symbolically. He saw this figure as representing the uniting of the Christian God with Satan. Right. I mean, Baphomet would work too. Um, and hence, as depicting a transformation of the Western God image. It was 1932. What? We jumped a lot. 1952, it was in 1952, in answer to Job, that Jung elaborated on this theme. Okay. 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 He had studied the literature on Gnosticism <clears throat> in the course of his preparatory reading for transformations and symbols of the libido. In early 1913, he read Dietrich's Abraxas, still from the perspective of his libido theory. In January and October 1915, while doing military service, he studied the works of the Gnostics intensively he was struck by the closeness of these texts to his own Liber Novus, and also with what he saw as the similarity between the modern epoch and the time of early Christianity. After writing the Septum Sermones in the Black Books, Jung recopied it in a calligraphic script into a separate book slightly rearranging the sequence. He added the following inscription under the title, title, quote, the seven instructions of the dead, written by Bastilides in Alexandria, the city where the east touches the west. Then, it, which one's Africa? 
Is that the east or the west? Um, maybe different east and west. All right. Then he then had this privately printed, adding to the inscription, quote, translated from the Greek original into German, end quote. This legend indicates the stylistic effects on Jung of late 19th century classical scholarship. All right, we're in the middle of a paragraph, so that's going to be fun for me to figure out next time. I thought it would be fun, since I mentioned it last time, to read a random page. Not the whole page. A random page from, sorry, from the book called Remember, Be Here Now, Be Here Now, Remember, Be Here Now, Be Here Now, Remember, Be Here Now. Wait, is that exact? Now, be here now, be here, be now, be nowhere. Now, be here, now, be here, now, be here, now, be, now, here, be, now, be nowhere. It keeps going. All right, random page. I am, oh, excuse me, I mean, dig me, Sam Jones, with an illustration it's from a similar school of thought. Thank you all for uh, joining me in part nine.